I was going to say the Awakening Report, but that's Tuesdays. This is the <laughs> Way Wednesdays, and uh, this is part of the Way Congregation. Now, if this is your first time here, I just want you to know that I'm the pastor of the Way Congregation. We meet in a place called Lakewood, Colorado, though lately we have not been meeting there. It's been a real bummer. We're all stuck at home, so we're trying to do the best we can with what we have to work with. But we're seeing really a silver lining in this, and that God has given us new ideas. He's giving us different opportunities. And so we came up with this idea called The Way Wednesdays. And the basic idea is that Pastor Gary and I uh, go through the Torah portion, uh, any part of that Torah portion. Uh, we chew on it, and then we take questions from you. We want this to be really interactive, as interactive as possible. That's the basic idea. And um, it's supposed to be a lot of fun. So we're going to joke a little bit. We're going to laugh. We're going to have some fun. Uh, we're going to get through the tour portion, and that's pretty much the plan. So, hey, Gary, it's so great to have you with us. Greetings. It's always good to see you. Um, yeah. Wish we could wish we could sit down and share a cup of coffee in a couple hours. Oh, We'd have I a know. Great time. I know. It's funny how you take those things for granted, and then it's gone, right? And like, wait, that, that can't be over. Yeah. Wouldn't it be amazing when we can fellowship with each other for all eternity? I'm looking forward to that. Oh my when we're gosh. not rushed. You know, I, I, I perceive we're still going to have a schedule. Like the, the, the feasts are going to go on. We see that in Isaiah chapter 66, that there will be one Sabbath to another, one new moon to another. Right? There will still be these feasts in Zechariah 14. It talks about the people that uh, need to come up and celebrate the feast. And if people don't, they don't get rain. So there's still a clock. This idea that time is going to end is not a biblical idea. That's people not reading the whole Bible. Um, but we're still going to have time. We're still going to have God's feast. And the cool thing is we get to celebrate those now. We get to get into it. And right now we are in the Omer, right? We are counting the Omer. So do you want to? Yeah, yeah. kind of... <laughs> well, we yeah. continue to count. We'll be counting uh, for a couple more weeks. Uh, this is, we're coming into the second week and fourth day of the Omer. Um, or second week and fifth day. I'll have to go back and check my calendar now. Um, this may be the second uh, week and the fourth day today, and then we're going into the fifth, I believe. Uh, so I'll have to go back and check. I don't remember from last night when I counted. No, that's a, <laughs> I guess. Not a problem, I man. stay at home-itis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we all do. Yeah, so just a shout out to everybody, uh, part of the Wake Congregation here locally in Denver also to our e-community. Um, you know, we, we really, really are in this together, the, this coronavirus stuff. Such a bummer. But again, we're looking forward to when we get to get back together and uh, hang out in person. And I, I miss all the delicious food for Oneg and just seeing people and the smiling faces. And I miss the worship. Uh, there's a lot of stuff, right? So good, good times. Good time. Well, like you say, we're making uh, we're making lemon out of lemonades, and uh, we're making the best of it. And uh, what I truly appreciate is the interaction that we have mm -hmm. with the community, not just the yep. folks that we physically know and get to fellowship with, but also those that are in our e-community. And uh, we've really struck up some great friendships that would never have occurred. Mm -hmm. uh, we would never had this level of interaction. Uh, had uh, uh, we've been stuck at home and forced to do this kind of virtual thing. So yeah. there really is a, 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 a silver lining or a cloud. And 
I am so grateful for that opportunity because these are lasting relationships that we can now continue to forge forward with. Um, yeah. Uh, I think your I think your internet over there in well, Kansas is I think it's, not not the best here. Important <laughs> about that, Doug, is that for but uh, what I what I truly appreciate about the uh, uh, the fact that we get to interact with the e community is that for the most part, a lot of these folks have no other resource. Mm. They they don't live in a in a in an area where there is another uh, messianic fellowship. Uh, they're just out there in the desert, in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. And so we are like a, a lifeline to them to stay connected to a, a Torah-keeping, believing community. Yeah. Uh, and, and that is so important because we have mm -hmm. all been there at some point in time where we have just been out in the wilderness without any connections whatsoever thinking we're the only guy in the world that thinks this way. Um, mm -hmm. And it's so important to be able to hold on to that. And so yep. Um, yep. I, for everybody out there, I just want you to encourage you that we love you. We care about you. We want that relationship with you uh, uh, all the time, uh, just as close as it is with the folks that we get to shake hands with and, and, and hug uh, when we meet together physically. It, it's so important. Thank you uh, for being part of our fellowship. Absolutely. You know, and I think just kind of on that, I, on that thought, you know, there's sometimes when we're fellowshipping together on a Shabbat and uh, I know that you and I are, are quite busy and, you know, others, we just, we, we can kind of get into our, our little cloisters. We can get into our, our routines. And sometimes we still miss each other, even though we're there physically presently, but, Sometimes, you know, it's nice to be in a virtual uh, space where we have a different type of interaction. So, uh, you know, again, we're just kind of looking at all the different uh, angles for this thing, trying to see how this is really a blessing in disguise. And we want to encourage you guys, if, if the teachings from the Wake Congregation or any of the things that we've been doing are blessing you, we really encourage you to like them and share them. Uh, you know, we're, we're kind of in, in the world of algorithms, right? And so how do you get the word out? You, you like it and then you share it. And that does wonders for the algorithm. And then YouTube is recommending us more. Uh, and, and really it's all about getting the, the Torah or the Hebraic uh, minded interpretation of scripture, right? So we're not trying to put others down as we go about teaching the Torah. The goal is to come to the scriptures with a Hebraic mindset and, and to just interpret it and then to live it, right? So we're not trying to bash what we're against. We're trying to really live what we're for. That's, that's the goal. And uh, we want it to be fresh. We don't want this to be something where, you know, we're the only people in town that have the truth and we're bashing everybody else. I, I've been around those things and it gets so old. I mean, it just really gets tiring. So we're trying to do something different, but you know, uh, it really would help if you guys would just click the like button and share it. And I think that would help get the message out. And it would ultimately help build our community, it would help grow uh, people in the knowledge of the the Hebrew mindset, if you will. Uh, and just a couple of announcements. So I'll let people know that we are actually going to start an online Hebrew course. We were doing that on Shabbat. 
before the service, but obviously we can't do that now. So we're going to do it uh, one of these days. I'm not sure which day we're going to pick, but I've uh, put some stuff out on Facebook just to get a, a sense of where people uh, might want to go with that. Uh, you have to be able to just, you have to be able to read, okay? You have to be able to sound out the letters and form uh, words, okay? If you can do that, and you can join. We've been doing something called Duolingo. I highly recommend it. It's a wonderful way. It's free. You can go to duolingo.com and you can uh, start doing their, their courses right away in Hebrew. And that will get you up to speed So because we're going to read the Bible in Hebrew. That's the plan. And it's a lot of fun. I'll tell you. When you start reading the Bible in Hebrew, you get all these insights. You're like, I didn't know all this stuff was in here. And there it is. It's just, it's like a mountain ready to, to be climbed. Uh, but you got to have your shoes, okay? So you got to you got to have the the ability to to at least sound out the letters and to form them into words. And if you got that, then we can keep on going. Um, so just want to encourage you in that. Um, let's see. Friday night we have our Arab Shabbat, right? So we everyone gets a glass of wine or whatever you're drinking. And uh, Gary and Jeannie are so gracious to open their home, and they lead us through the lighting of the candles. Uh, a nice uh, traditional prayer, and then we have a time of fellowship. We just hang out and we we chat. Uh, so it's really fun. Uh, and we've got other things too. We're we're talking about getting maybe a, a men's uh, devotional, a women's devotional. We'll be doing these online. Uh, so it's kind of handy for our community here in Denver because we're kind of spread out, and um, it, it should help. And of course, we also want to invite people that are not physically present in Denver, but are part of the e-community and want to be part of those as well. So these are the things that are coming up and uh, pretty excited about those. So uh, looks like we got a lot of questions, Gary. I think we need to kind of jump into the Torah portion and then we will, uh, then we'll take a deep dive into uh, some of these questions. What do you say? That's, that sounds really good. Let's All right. So Gary and I were debating about what is the Torah portion this week. And, and uh, I, you know, my mother told me to defer to my elders. So I have to just kind of go with what Gary said. Uh, the, the first and only time, I'm sure. So just so people know, uh, we, we've kind of, we've, we've switched a little bit. We were using uh, First Reads of Zion, ffoz.org, I think it is. Um, and Gary uh, pointed me over to lionandlambministries.org, and they have a nice uh, Torah cycle readings. So uh, if, if you guys want to uh, follow along, if you want to know where we are, at least where we think we are, uh, that's right there. And I, I, put it, <laughs> I put it in the chat so you guys can, can take a look at that. <laughs> But uh, right there it is, uh, lionandlambministries.org. And, uh, and that's what we're using. The, the benefit of it, the advantage, is that it has a lot more of the New Testament. And today I thought we would really tackle this question of was Paul pro-Torah? I'll give you the quick answer. Yes, he was. All right. So in case you don't want to hang out for the whole, <laughs> the whole time, there's your answer. He was pro-Torah. Well, next but, question. Yeah, yeah, we're done. We're done. Okay. <laughs> yes, he was. I'm not to give away the punchline. I'm not supposed to give away the punchline, but uh, but this is a question that will often come up uh, because there are, uh, you know, within kind of mainstream Christianity, there's there there's definitely a strong bent toward Martianism, where people 
think that Paul is the only guy that had anything right, and they will defer to his teachings as what is necessary for Christian living. Uh, and, and, and to that extreme, you can go to the hyper-dispensationalist. Uh, to the other extreme, you have uh, people that are getting into Torah, and then they throw out Paul because they think that Paul was against the Bible, or against the Torah anyway, uh, and that he was saying that we don't have to do that, that's all over. So we reject either of those two extremes, and I think Paul was absolutely pro-Torah, but obviously some of his teachings have been twisted. And so we're going we're gonna to just kind of take a look at uh, a couple different passages. We'll look at some passages in Romans. Uh, we may take a, a dip into Leviticus, etc., to give us a better idea of what Paul was all about. So I, I believe everything that Paul taught. I just think that Paul is often misinterpreted because people have an anti-Torah bent. So, yeah, let's uh, let's jump in. What do you say, Gary? That, that sounds really good. I would just like to, to, to add on that um, Peter obviously had some issues with Paul and uh, in, in his teachings. Uh, I think he found them oftentimes hard to understand. He knew that others would find them hard to understand. Um, and I can only imagine the struggle that the, the disciples had in accepting Paul and and uh, understanding how he was called, um, especially mm -hmm. considering his background uh, as as uh, one who was persecuting the early church, um, and it must have been a very uh, difficult time uh, in terms of uh, finding fellowship, finding uh, continuity in uh, how the message of the Messiah was going out. Um, especially as Paul is going out to the non-Jewish world uh, and, and, and being able to understand that uh, coming from, I, I think of all of us who were raised in whatever tradition we were raised in, uh, whether it's Catholicism or we were lifelong Baptists or we were raised in Jewish households. And, and now we have this realization of Yeshua, the Messiah, the Torah observant, uh, um, Messiah um, and all the disciples, Jews, uh, kind of understanding what it means to live your life as a Jew, and and yet not having any background in that, uh, and how much of the struggle that is for us. So how much of a struggle was it for the, our first century brothers and sisters to grapple with this, especially living in a nation who observed a a way whose government was. You know, albeit you could say a lot of things about uh, kind of the Sanhedrin of the first century uh, and the relationship with Rome, but the government was basically a, a Jewish government. And, and uh, what kind of struggles they must have uh, dealt with in terms of interpreting scripture. Um, Yeshua himself says, you know, the, the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat and therefore do as they say. Um, and, and so being able to reconcile these messages uh, certainly uh, would have been difficult. And we see that same difficulty today. Um, what troubles me is when people uh, have their minds made up and are not willing to listen to a well-reasoned uh, argument or, or discussion 
uh, drawing two or three or four or multiple dozens of witnesses from scripture uh, that point to um, uh, an argument to, to the contrary. So we have to be, oh, we have to ask the Holy Spirit in our lives to help us discern and uh, not be blown by every whim or fancy that gets uh, out there, but uh, to be solidly based in, in the word. And Doug, just to plug in on the Hebrew class, um, that going to the source is so important uh, to be able to understand scripture. And folks that are watching this, I want you to have an appreciation for the gift that we have uh, with, with Pastor Doug and his background in the languages, the fact that he studied uh, Hebrew and the Semitic languages at Hebrew University. Uh, this is not something that just stumbles into your doorstep every day. Uh, so if you're questioning at all about whether you should get involved in the Hebrew uh, class, uh, if you really wanna understand uh, your scriptures, go to the source. To do that, you need to uh, understand Hebrew and to an extent Greek. Uh, so uh, Pastor Doug, it's all yours. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, by the way. I appreciate that. And I was just thinking about the part of the Torah portion uh, is Ezekiel 22. All right. So what's interesting, kind of on this topic, uh, I'm just going to pull up this text here. So, and God says that, um, he says, um, uh, chapter 20, chapter, chapter 20, he says, uh, concerning uh, Israel. He says, I am the Lord your God. You shall walk in my statutes, hallow my Sabbaths. Notwithstanding, the children rebelled against me and did not walk in my statutes and were not careful to observe my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. But they profane my Sabbaths. Then I said I would pour out my fury on them and fulfill my anger against them in the wilderness. Uh, which is, of course, very interesting when you start considering that God's bringing them back together in the wilderness in the book of Revelation. All right, but I digress. All right. So he says, I also raised my hand in an oath to those in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the Gentiles and disperse them throughout the countries. All right. Do you, do you see that, Gary? I mean, isn't that huge? Where is he going to send them? He's going to send them into the Gentiles, right? I mean, so if you get dispersed into the Gentiles, and then, according to Hosea, you are assimilated, swallowed up into the Gentiles. You're part of the Gentiles now, right? And God says, they're not my people. They are not my people. So if they're not God's people and they get swallowed up into the Gentiles, then what does that make them? Gentiles. Okay? Gentiles. That's Absolutely. what it makes them. Right. So they're Gentiles. So then he goes on. He says, because they had not executed my judgments, but had despised my statutes, profaned my Sabbaths, and their eyes were fixed on their father's idols. Therefore, I also gave them up to the statutes that were not good and judgments by which they could not live. And I pronounced them unclean because of their ritual gifts in that they ceased or caused, excuse me, caused all their firstborn to pass through the fire that I might make them desolate and that they might know that I am the Lord. All right, so God has declared the house of Israel unclean. So it kind of makes sense if you're in the first century and you're a Jew, someone who's a, a, a Gentile, and that is where the house of Israel had gone to, was into the Gentiles. 
God declared them unclean. Okay, he declared them unclean. Now, this is where it gets really exciting. All right, so in Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, it's so cool because there uh, God is saying via Paul, right? And so Paul, why, why is Paul so cool? Because Paul is an expert in the Torah, right? And he's he's taking all these ideas and he's, he's kind of, uh, chewing them up for us and then spitting out uh, this simpler conclusion. But the trouble is, if you don't know the Torah, then you're completely lost and you think that God is, or the you know, Paul's off on something. But what does he say? In verse 24, Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever amen all right so that is huge when you start putting it all together that that god said concerning the house of israel you're unclean you're unclean get out of here you're not my people i'm not your god i will no longer have mercy upon you and then he says to come back all right and there's one more passage that i want to take a look at and this is this all has to do with whether we Gentiles are supposed to keep the law or not. And of course, the answer that we often hear is, well, absolutely not. You don't have to keep it. So remember when Peter is being called to Cornelius's house, he has this dream, you know, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And so then Peter's pondering this thing. What does this mean? And so then Peter goes to Cornelius's house and then he says, then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation, that is the Gentiles. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean, right? Because what did God say? God said, um, Peter, up in the house, rise, Peter, kill and eat. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. I mean, it's astounding when you start putting these verses together. You're like, oh, I get it. So the house of Israel was called unclean because God divorced them, sent them into the nations, into the Gentiles. They became one with the Gentiles. And then... Um, and then Paul says that, that God gave them up to, he gave them up, he gave them away due to their uncleanness and all their uncleanness things. And so they were, they became part of the Gentiles, right? Even though they had knowledge of God, they did not retain him in their hearts. That's what he says in Romans chapter one. And then you put that together with Acts chapter 10 and Peter's like, hey, God told me I'm not supposed to call people unclean. Because he's not made them clean. How did he make them clean? Well, Paul has the answer for that in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. And notice who he's talking to. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law. Right? So if you don't know the law, you're not going to understand what, what Paul was saying. So those who know the law, the Torah, that the law has dominion over man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, 
she's released from the law of her husband, right? So again, the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law so that she's no adulteress, though she's married to another man. So this is Israel getting divorced, going in with another, you know, God, as it were, another, another man, so to speak. And so then he says, therefore, my brethren, you've also become dead to the law through the body of Christ. That you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. So he's now saying, to he's talking to those who know the law, that that how did he make us clean? Because the husband died for the unfaithful wife. The husband Jesus died, and so then when he died, it's like we died with him, because now all of the stipulations, the uh, obligations of the law that said hold on if a woman commits adultery she could potentially be divorced or she really should be stoned but all of those all of those things that were against us all of those those negative judgments that were against us those have been nailed to the cross not the torah but the the penalties that are in the torah because of this bad action those have been done away with and now this wife is no longer unclean. Now the wife can come back as a pure, spotless bride. It's so beautiful. I mean, I just, oh, I love it, you know, but it's this kind of background that we have to have when we come to Paul. And I, th and I think you make a really good point. It is that kind of background. And unfortunately, that is not a background that most of us have uh, learned uh, going uh, to our, our churches where our idea of clean and unclean typically, or where the idea of clean and unclean typically falls to foods. And that's where the passage in Acts oftentimes gets miscommunicated or misunderstood, where it's like, oh, all things are clean. Uh, you know, Peter, rise and eat. It's mm -hmm. like, well, obviously he's talking about eating unclean foods, and now it's okay to eat anything that you want, and everything is uh, fine and, and, and uh with, but understanding uh, the rules of clean and unclean extend way beyond uh, what what you eat to what you do, daily life, uh, so many different circumstances. And with that, um, uh, being able to understand those types of things, the passages become difficult. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and I can't even imagine the complexity of the passage that you just read out of Chapter seven. That's why he says to those who know the law. Right. You guys, you guys might get it. You guys right. might understand it. You know the law. Right. Uh, how yeah. are we, or you know, those who don't know the law? How are we supposed to understand That's it? Right. And so it's yeah. understandable how we can get that messed up. Um, yeah. And again, so it takes some patience. It takes some time. Uh, it takes kind of unlearning. Mm -hmm. uh, some things and putting some preconceived notions aside for yeah. us to be able to understand Paul. Yeah, yeah. In fact, this kind of leads us into a question. This is from Canon Centurion. He says, why do you think there are a lot of anti-Paul, anti-missionary stuff going around in the Torah-believing communities of late? Um, well, I'll say it's not new, but there, there could be a kind of a, a swell that's happening right now. Um, and, you know, and it's hard to kind of put this into words without sounding arrogant, but what happens is much easier to either exalt Paul beyond belief, which is what the 
the Marcionists do, or to throw him to the ground. But to stay in that middle ground and say, no, Paul it, Paul's good, but how do I figure it out? How do I figure it out? I, I kind of think of uh, Einstein, that Einstein uh, was very, very slow to accept quantum physics. He just thought there was something wrong. And even today, there's this kind of tension between uh, the theory of relativity as put forward by Einstein and quantum physics, right? It's like, how do you marry these two? And Einstein spent the rest of his life, essentially, uh, trying to figure these out. And he came up with what's called the unified field theory. And, um, and he was right. I mean, from what I've read, okay, uh, he was right that he, he, you know, took him a long time to put these two things together, but he finally came up with uh, a, a newer theory called the unified field theory. Uh, but he was, to some degree, ridiculed and he was sidelined because uh, he did not, you know, stay up with the times, which is really weird. And, and I, I think he took the really hard road. He took the super hard road. And, um, and it was hard. It was very hard because he didn't have all the fame and glory that he used to have. Uh, he wasn't as popular. He wasn't invited to speak because he was kind of a Luddite when it came to quantum physics, et cetera, which is ironic, right? We think of Einstein as the smartest guy ever. Uh, and and so to understand Paul, to understand Paul is challenging. And I think it's easy. It's almost inevitable to kind of fall off one of these two cliffs, right? Um, you know, we kind of have this this mound and we're trying to stay right on the on the pinnacle, right? Between rolling over to the Marcion side and rolling over to the anti-Paul side, it, it's hard to do that. Uh, but as Paul points out, he's writing to those who know the Torah. So we've had roughly 2,000 years of people that don't know the Torah. In fact, people that are anti-Torah. And then they read Paul and they're like, see, Paul, Paul threw the, the whole thing out. So why should why should we even have this discussion? You know, you're, you're going back under the law. Uh, why would you do that? Jesus died to free us from that. That's straight out of the mouth of Marcion. So we have that extreme on the one hand. And what I, what I think happens is then people start to wake up. They're like, wait a second, Torah is for me? Oh my goodness, this is amazing. And they get into this and then they start, they start seeing, or, or let's say that they're challenged. They're probably challenged in many cases. They're challenged by their friends, their family, their pastor. The local theologian, you know, says, well, wait a second, Paul said this, right? Paul said that. And they don't have the answers. And so then the knee-jerk reaction is to throw out Paul. Because it makes sense, right? Look, if Paul seems to be talking against the Torah, then he must be a false prophet, right? I mean, it's really a simple equation. If Paul is talking smack against Torah, then he's obviously a, a false apostle, right? And of course he's not, but but it's it's easy to come to that conclusion. And I should say that it's difficult. It, it, it's, you know, it's taken me many, many years of, of uh, hard research, of uh, praying, Lord, show me. I don't get it. I don't, I mean, I really believe Paul's the right guy. But how, this doesn't make sense. And I shared this last night on my um, awakening report uh, where I take up people's questions. But, you know, if we, if we throw out Paul, Let's think about it for a second. If you reject Paul, then you have to reject the book of Acts because in the book of Acts, Jesus clearly endorses Paul. If you throw out Paul, then you have to throw out the book of Luke as well because Luke wrote Acts. And so there you're going to, so that's, we're now down to gospel and we're down the book of Acts. Okay. 
And then if you reject Paul, you've got to throw out Second Peter because Second Peter, uh, there he clearly endorses Paul. And Peter is probably the author of the book of Mark. Mark is probably the scribe. Peter is the actual author. So you probably have to throw out the book of Mark as well. Uh, then you have to throw out possibly the book of Hebrews, if Paul wrote that, we're not sure, but it's, uh, it, you know, it's quite likely. And of course, all of Paul's epistles. So your Bible gets a whole lot thinner. Your New Testament gets a whole lot thinner if you throw out Paul. And I would argue that we're missing some amazing gems if we were to throw out Paul, because Paul really did this hard work. You know, it's kind of like the mother bird that that eats the fish and then regurgitates it for her, her babies, right? Paul, I think he was just like going, oh my goodness, I see it. This is so amazing. And when he realized that Jesus was the one who died to, to free us from that old marriage contract that demanded justice, that demanded stoning, that demanded that there could never be a restoration of the relationship. And then he saw it. He's like, oh, I see it. I see it. Remember that passage from Deuteronomy 24? Remember that one? A man has a wife and he finds some uncleanness in her, you know, and then he sends her away with a certificate of divorce and she becomes another man's uh, wife. And then he doesn't like her and he sends her away. She can't go back to the first husband. That would be an abomination and greatly pollute the land. He's like, but guess what? The husband died. There's a clause in the law that says the husband died. And that's why we get to come back. And I think he was just like jumping for joy. And, and quite frankly, I think he's rolling in his grave right now. He's like, no, I didn't say that, guys. I didn't say that. All these things that are that, that we uh, throw on Paul. I, he's like, I didn't say that. So, um, yeah. Hey, why don't we jump into the, uh, the, the, the portion? Uh, we have a couple. All right. We have a couple that we can choose from. Now, I suggested Romans chapter 3. Uh, what say you, Gary? <laughs> Romans chapter 3 is good. Uh, I'm, okay, I'm good with that. Okay, cool. So we're going to start Romans 3, verse 19. Romans 3, verse 19. Why don't we read through it? Uh, I'll put it up on the screen. Uh, and then we can, of course, we can stop and we can uh, chew on it. All right. And guys, we're going to take your questions. So uh, keep them coming. Uh, we, we got one down. So we're going to take the rest of these questions as they come. Uh, to the very best of our ability, of course. So here Paul is saying in Romans 3.19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by deeds, the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. And on all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? Is it excluded by what law? Of works? No. 
but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. All right, why don't we, why don't we stop there for now, Gary? Sounds good. That is a mouthful, to say the least. <laughs> Yes. Yes, indeed. Yes. Okay. So, um, I mean, we have our kind of big question was pro, Paul pro Torah. I think absolutely. Uh, Romans 3.31 would seem to nail that question, right? Uh, there Paul says, you know, does, uh, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So through our faith, we're establishing the law. Through our faith, we're establishing the law. But of course, he has a lot. Let, to let me interrupt you real quick. Please, please do. But let me let me interrupt you real quick because one of the things that uh, I think we should establish first is what law is Paul talking about? Is he talking about the Torah, uh, or is he talking about another law or another set of rules or something else and i'll just throw that out to you yeah fair enough well why don't we go back and take a look now for people that um are, are budding hebrew you know bible scholars it's, it's simple you read the text you read it again and you ask questions of the text that's Pretty much all I do is I ask questions of the text, and then I go looking for answers. Uh, so, so that's what it means, really, to be a theologian is to ask questions of the text. And over time, with practice, you get better uh, knowing uh, kind of where to find the answers. Uh, but I think one of the greatest things ever is cross-referencing. It's so awesome. So let's okay let's take a look so we know that the, whatever the law says it says of those who were under the law that every mouth may be stopped yeah so i think that right there what does it mean to be under the law all right and of course context is super duper important right context super important so yeah what does it mean to be under the law uh, he's talking about there's no unrighteous, no not one. Uh, everybody is under sin. All right, so here we see that they are under sin. Uh, he's really clear about that. There's no unrighteous, no not one. There is none who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned aside. All right, so all of this stuff, of course, he's quoting from uh, the Hebrew scriptures. There's no one who fears, no one, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And so now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. All right. So, um, well, and Doug, I would I would go yeah. back to uh, I would go back to uh, uh, Romans three one and okay. two, where it says, "What advantage then has the Jew, 
or what is the profit of the circumcision. So he clearly identifies here the uh, group. Um, and now what about this group? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. And so mm -hmm. to me, that is very clear that he's talking about the Torah. Uh, they were the ones who received the oracles. They were the ones who received the law up on Mount Sinai. Uh, so um, to me, that, that sets this apart clearly. I like how he um, goes on to expand on that in verse um, 22, 21, where it says, The righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by what? The law and the prophets. Again, associating that with the oracles, associating that with the, the Tanakh, basically, the entire mm -hmm. Hebrew scriptures. That's a great point. Yeah. So he's he's saying that the 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 Torah and the uh the Nevi'im, right, the prophets, uh talking about right there, two-thirds of, of the, the corpus we call the Old Testament. He he's saying that those are actually good. Those are endorsing uh part of his point here that the righteousness of God apart from the laws revealed being witnessed by the Torah and the prophets. And, and sometimes I think the, the, the terminology can a little bit be a little bit challenging. All right, because sometimes when you say Torah, some people mean Torah as anything that is related to God's, you know, God's words, God's unction. Uh, so you know that could be Torah. Uh, sometimes by Torah we only mean the first five books of the Bible. First, sometimes we only mean the spoken commandments that God gave at Mount Sinai. So to be fair, the word Torah is used in many different ways. And I think Paul is kind of doing that same thing. He's using Torah in all these different uh, ways. And so that makes part of our life challenging because we're trying to figure out, okay, which, which one did you mean here, Paul? But I think if you have a Hebraic mindset and you understand that even today, when you talk to a, a non-Christian Jewish person who is studied in Torah. <laughs> you, you, I, I mean, I've had this conversation when I was in Israel. I'm like, well, what do you mean by Torah? They're like, I'm like, what is Torah? They're like, well, it's everything, you know? So for them, it can be the written Torah, oral Torah. It's, it's, it's the entire Bible. Um, it would potentially include the, the Talmud and their opinion. All right. So you, you kind of have to define your terms. And, and that's, that's part of our challenges. It's, it's difficult sometimes to define the terms. Uh, but I think Paul gives us a clue that he's talking about God's law, God's Torah, which is witnessed by the Torah, right? So, you know, when we kind of, when we put in the word Torah, God's righteousness is, um, uh, which is apart from Torah, but it's witnessed by Torah, right? So he, he, he kind of seems to be saying two different things, but it's understanding some of this verbiage, some of this uh, nomenclature that was part of the first century and just part of, you know, uh, Jewish thought uh, when he's talking about this. And of course, in Romans chapter two, he talks about how it's not the hearer of the law who is justified, but the doer of the law who is justified. So, you know, what happens is people that are either, you know, hyper Paul or against Paul uh, are not taking the whole thing into consideration. And that's where there's no substitute for just studying 
what he says and do your best to do it without bias, right? That's part of the trick. Well, I think so, that's where that's, I think that's where people get tripped up too, is in some of these apparent contradictions. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, not just hearers but doers, right. uh, and that you know. Then he says, you know, don't be under the law. Uh, right. And so it's like, well, should I do it? But does that put me under it? Uh, mm -hmm. and, and and so it's it's easy to see how some of these things can be troubling. Yeah. And, and the very term under the law, what does that mean? To be under the law is to be under the weight, under the penalty of the law. So, you know, just in, in, living in the United States, um, I, I, I have freedom to go around and pretty much do whatever I want to. I, I'm not concerned about the law because I'm not under the law. Right, I, I'm not under the penalty of the law because I haven't broken the law. Now, if I were to break a law, if I were to rob a bank or murder or something, then I would be looking over my shoulder uh, and saying, okay, the police are going to knock on my door or just barge in uh, when I'm not expecting it. Right, And then because I'm under the law, I'm under the, the, the penalty, I'm under the, the weight uh, and the terms and conditions because of breaking the law. And so then the law is coming after me. But when when you haven't broken it, you're walking in the spirit and you're keeping it, you're not even concerned about that, right? I, I kind of think of, uh, you know, the, the, maybe the, the guy who's already under the law and he wants to be careful not to get caught. And so he's going to, really try to do everything right so that he doesn't get caught for the previous thing that he did. And he's just really concerned about that. Whereas I, and I, I hope, you know, most Americans uh, are um, kind of, you know, happy go lucky, relatively carefree because we're not under the law. We haven't broken it. Any thoughts so, on that? No. So, so if I uh, were to put that in, in, in uh, different words or uh, Put it kind of in the context of uh, of Romans three twenty, where it says, "Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin." And uh, just prior to that, it says, "Every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God, because all have sinned." As he says down, and um, um, but uh, verse uh, twenty five or twenty twenty four or so on. Um, so. As long as we walk righteously, as long as we walk according to the law, mm -hmm. we have no concern about the penalty of the law, the judgment mm -hmm. that comes through the law, because right. the law doesn't come against us, um, because we didn't go against it, I suppose, Right, right. is, is a way of putting it. Um, right. So we have no fear of the law if, if we walk accor according to the law, uh, mm -hmm. but if we're yeah, um, it's, I guess that's why criminals have hideouts. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. They're that's, hiding out. Because <laughs> they're, they're on the lam, as it were. Right? That's kind of the, the term there. Yeah. yeah. On the lam. Yeah. I, I, I've just pulled up uh, Romans chapter 8. And um, uh, we have, um, it says here, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds and the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity 
against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. So we see here that um, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritual minded is life and peace. And this verse is powerful. The carnal mind is enmity against God because it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So to be subject to the law is to be in concert with God's uh, commandments, is to be uh, you know, living in accordance with what God has said and not even thinking about it. This is the, the fruit of the Spirit, right? If we're walking according to the Spirit and we have the fruit of the Spirit, then we're not even thinking about, gosh, have I, did I keep the law today? You're not having to think about that because you're walking in the spirit and you're not walking according to the flesh, right? So it's when you when you break it, then you're saying, oh my gosh, I, I broke the law. What, you know, now, I, now I'm in trouble. So Doug, would this also apply uh, for those who in their mind say, I, can, I have a salvation of works. Uh, my works bring me my salvation. That I, I want to be, I want to, Follow the law. As a matter of fact, if I do everything under the law, if I if that's if that's what's written out, because some people just live by check boxes. It's like I did that, did that, did that, did that, and I'm doing it, striving in my own power, striving in my uh, in my own way, um, thinking that that brings me my salvation. Um, is that also an aspect of this carnal mind? I think so. I, I was just, I was kind of, as you were talking, I, a movie flashback in my mind, which was, uh, I think it was called The Remote Control. I think it was Adam Sandler was in the movie. And, uh, you know, in this kind of fictitious story, he he gets this magic remote control. And uh, with the remote control, he can kind of make things just happen sort of on autopilot. So, you know, he, he hits a certain button and then, um, you know, he's able to, kind of do nice things for his wife, um, you know, it gives her a back rub, okay. And uh, she likes it, right? The first time, it's really nice, right? But after a while, it's become so standardized, right? The thing that she really enjoyed initially just became routine because uh, he was kind of doing a, a check, a checkbox, right? He was doing things that at one point she liked, but then they just became these routine, mundane everyday kind of things because that's what you're supposed to do and i think we can have the same attitude with the law that instead of living by the spirit of the law i can live by the letter of the law and that's what jesus really charged the pharisees with you know he said that you know they tie their mint and their cumin their anise which they should do right but they left the weightier matters undone which were uh love mercy and justice right so so he, you know, they're supposed to do these things without leaving the former undone, right? So uh, taking uh, or uh, you know tithing, right? He, he says, you know, yeah, tithe. Okay, um, I think of uh, the Church uh, of Ephesus, Church of Ephesus. Um, I, you know, I think Jesus' rebuke is so powerful. He says these things who hold the seven stars. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. 
that you have tested those who say they're apostles and are not and have found them liars. All right. So these guys are checking boxes like, no, your doctrine is wrong. It's just wrong. You know, and the word says this, right? And Jesus is like, that's true. Okay. I, I see your fervor. I, I see that zeal that you have. And I appreciate that. Um, and that you've persevered, you have patience, you've labored for my name sake and have not become weary, right? I mean, that's pretty cool. And Jesus is taking note that we're doing these things, but they they left out the most important thing, right? The most important thing. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I mean, that is powerful that you can be doing the things of the Torah and do them with, with no heart, with no passion, no sense of the spirit that is guiding you, right? So you can kind of do the externals of the law with no spirit of God. And, you know, hey, it's good not to kill your neighbor. That's a good thing, right? Um, but are you only doing it because the law said not to? Or are you doing it because you actually love God and you love your neighbor, right? So so that's the thing. And and if we will really love God and love our neighbor, then we're not have to have we won't have to keep looking at the list and say, well, okay, I'm not supposed to murder him. I'm not supposed to steal his wife. I'm not supposed to covet his car. Because if you love your neighbor, then you're not thinking about these things. And I think that is where our um, evangelical non-Torah kind of brothers will say, well, I just, you know, I walk in the spirit, you know, and I'm like, well, that's awesome. But let's be honest, brother. You know, there are times when we really are all that wonderful and we, we love God and we love our neighbor. And of course, I'm not going to murder my neighbor because I love my neighbor. Right. Um, you know, some of those really big ones, but then there are other things that because I, or people have rejected the law uh, by and large that they can deceive themselves and and they and it's so easy to justify our actions and imagine that we're loving God and loving our neighbor when really God's like, I really don't like that thing. I know you're walking the spirit over here, but over here you're you're kind of taking some shortcuts and I'm not happy with what you're doing. So I think of it. I think of it too in a, in a in another aspect, uh, is similar, but a little bit different in in terms of and with uh, the uh, stay at home orders and things like that. I found some uh, newfound time to practice my banjo. I love uh, to play the banjo, uh, and so one aspect of playing the banjo is the technical precision that it takes to hit all the strings, fret all the notes, uh, keep the timing. Uh, and, and, and so think of that in the relationship of law. There's a lot of uh, technical precision to keeping the law. Um, and I could do that all day long and, and, and uh, be precise. But where I really find joy is when I uh, don't think about the technical mm -hmm. precision mm -hmm. and I just play and I let the music come out. Yeah. And that's where I really find an expression in the yeah. instrument. And yeah. uh, if I just sit there and I, you know, I do, I have to uh, 
uh, to, to strive to get better, I have to practice the technical aspect mm -hmm. over and over and over and over and over and over again until it becomes second nature. Uh, so that I can have the freedom now of expressing the technical precision that I learned. Uh, and so I think that's another great way to think of our relationship with the, the laws of God, our relationship with God, that he gave us this technical, um, these technical instructions, these details, and technical, but, you know, uh, so kind of understanding the, the, the meaning of the word. But when you, as you become more and more familiar with that, you find out that life is in living the words. Uh, and that really brings joy uh, into mm. your life. And, and I really think that transcends yep. Yep. you from the, from the work of the law into the spirit of the law. I totally agree. The banjo. The banjo <laughs> works really well. <laughs> I, I think that's a beautiful illustration. Uh, it really is, um, you know, being dabbling in music as well. I, I get that. I get what you're saying. Like, you know, you, you know, of course, there's always times when you need to play with the metronome, right? Because you need to really get that timing right. And uh, and there's a time and there's a place for doing the metronome, right? Tick, tock, tick, tock. And then you get the, until you, dee, 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 until you finally, but then once you can put the metronome away and then you can play, and and then this music starts to happen. Um, you know, I, I I feel honored to be on the worship team at times when Vince is leading us, and and I just love it when we're we're all in cohesion. It happens occasionally. You know, we have this amazing cohesion, and and we're creating music, right? And we're not thinking about the timing. We're I mean, we're hopefully keeping time, right? But <clears throat> but like but the the timing and all that stuff is not. What we're thinking about, we're thinking about creating music, and but that's, uh, that's what's necessary to, to become become very familiar with the timing. Because right. if we're right. not familiar with it, it's chaos. It's cacophony. Yeah, that's right. It makes no sense, and it doesn't take you into that presence of God. So mm -hmm. it really is important to have both the to to, to follow the prescription, yeah, as it is, and to live it out freely mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now one without the other just doesn't work well yeah yeah um there's a comment in the in the comment section from a guy named zapazoid i'm gonna put this up here he he, he appears from what i'm gathering seems to be a anti-paul kind of guy he says his letters that people use to justify not observing sabbath and feasts and pagan holidays he was a freemason and the number 13 is associated to him but that is clearly deep for you to understand. <laughs> well, um, you know, maybe it's too deep for us to understand. But maybe again, we've we've actually read a few things. Um, I mean, there are thirteen epistles that uh, that Marcin was into. Um, again, I think really Zeppo Zoe, just to kind of address your 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 comment or question. Um, Paul said on many occasions that he was actually keeping everything in God's Torah. So Acts twenty four fourteen that he believes everything in the Torah and the prophets. He believes everything uh, that is in there. I'm going to just pull that up so we can uh, just chew on that, that Paul was not against the Torah. And I think this is such a fantastic verse, very powerful. So let's see here. And there it is. Okay. 
Paul says, but this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. So I, I think I think when people reject Paul, I don't think they're rejecting the real Paul. I think they're rejecting the Paul as portrayed by Marcion. All right, so they're, they're rejecting Marcion's Paul. And you're right to reject Marcion's Paul because Marcion's Paul was a bad guy. Now, in case you don't know who Marcion, Marcion was a second century heretic. Uh, he was declared a heretic around 144 AD. Uh, the early heresiologists were trying to stamp him out. So you have Justin Martyr. You've got, um, let's see, I'm, I'm blanking really quick here. Uh, Tertullian and um, one of the other early church fathers. Uh, forgetting, but anyway, I think Basil was trying to stamp him on as well. But there's one more that I can't think of for the moment. But they were trying to stamp this guy out, and they were not successful. That's the crazy and scary thing, is that they were not successful. And so Marcion theology became mainstream. It became part of the standard Christian theology. That's what's unfortunate. And so when Paul is taught, most times, more often than not, he's taught with that Marcionistic bent. And it's really hard for people to finally see that ghost in the machine. I would invite you to watch a video that I produced that I created called Haunted Theology. And I talk about Marcion and how this, this ghost in the machine, if you will, uh, Marcion's theology has inundated our theology. We don't even realize it. But once you can see that, you'll be like, oh, so you're absolutely right to, to be against some of these things. But it's not the real Paul. Uh, it's the Marcion, the Paul of Marcion that you're probably rejecting. Uh, and I, again, I would commend you for doing that. But, but the real Paul, as spoken in the Bible, was a Paul who was completely on board with the Torah. He, uh, he did everything he could to show it. I mean, when he went back to Jerusalem, James was like, hey, there's people that uh, have, you know, are saying that you're against Torah. So what should we do? Here's what you should do. Take these four guys, pay big money, by the way, for these sacrifices. Uh, and take the the Nazarene vow and do it with them uh, and show that you are absolutely keeping the Torah. And he did that, right? He did it. He wasn't a two-faced kind of guy. He wasn't a hypocrite. He wasn't, you know, one way with these people or another way with these people. He was the same Paul uh, every time. So I hope that uh, gives you something to think about there. And any follow-up there, Gary? No, no, I think that okay. I think that's really good. I was just uh, uh, looking also in Acts uh, at 28, uh, where um, uh, verse 17 it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said, men, brethren, I, I have done nothing against our people or our customs of our fathers that I was delivered as a prisoner. So he goes on to say, look, I'm, I've been a good Jew. Yeah. I, I've been a good Jew. And, he, and it, then in uh, verse uh, 23, he goes on to say, when they had appointed him a day, many came to him in his lodging, whom he explained and soundly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Yeshua uh, from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning until evening. 
Uh, yeah. Clearly, that was his source. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's not Paul himself that the people are rejecting or should be rejecting. It, it's the Paul of Marcion that people ought to reject, absolutely. But the trouble is the Paul of Marcion and the biblical Paul are often confused as being the same guy. And that's the that's the danger. That's the deception uh, that that I think so many of us have fallen into over the years. It, it I had to just work to pull the scales off my eyes, you know. And I and I give God the credit for that because uh, He, you know, kept pushing me this way and that way in my studies, and I discovered this and discovered that. And it was God. God is behind this, uh, helping me to kind of figure these things out, you know. So. Um, yeah, and here's a little uh, thought from uh, Canaan Centurion. Whoever then breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches men, so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he should be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So, you know, Jesus was so clear. Um, it's just so clear. But again, uh, so much that we can we can keep saying about that. Hey, let's keep going in Romans because I think there's more there's more to say. So. So let's see the next part here in, in Romans is um, 930 through 1013. And um, I think this will help us. Let me share my screen and we will jump in all right so romans 9 30 uh what shall we say then that the gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness even the righteousness of faith but israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness why because they did not seek it by faith but as it were by the works of the law for they stumbled at the, that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Okay, this is going to be good stuff. Uh, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Okay, that's going to be a fun one. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who may descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is over all, over all is rich to all who call upon him. Uh, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All right. Man, that's some great stuff in there, Gary. <laughs> great stuff. Um, where do we start? That's probably the big question, right? Where do we start? Let's, let's just start really with the context. So the context right. is that the, is the, the the belief that uh, God has rejected Israel because mm -hmm. Israel rejects 
uh, the Messiah. Uh, mm-hmm. And so having the context uh, uh, is always helpful. So, mm-hmm. so what shall we say then, right? Uh, verse 30, the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, in other words, who did not follow the law, mm-hmm. right? Is that what he's saying there? Uh, mm-hmm. Have attained righteousness, uh, even the righteousness of faith, but mm-hmm. faith, but Israel, who followed the Torah, um, uh, has not attained um, mm-hmm. uh, to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, for it was by works of the law. So let's let's start there and maybe chew on that a little bit. That's good stuff. Let me back up really quick here, because I think this is huge, huge, huge. Right. I mean, if you're if you're a Calvinist, then this is your classic passage where God is choosing some and rejecting others because he's God. Right. And he can he can send send one person to hell because he wants to. Right. And um, and I'll tell you, it was only when I really took on Calvinism that it's my mind started to open up. And I started to understand some of these mysteries. It took me years, guys. I want you to understand the pain. It was a lot of pain. And I'm like, wait, it doesn't make any sense. All right. I'm like, this Calvinistic stuff just cannot make any, just can't be right. Because the, to think that God would, you know, say, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, you're going to heaven and you're no mo, right? That is, that cannot happen. That is not who God <laughs> is, right? Hey, thanks for laughing at my joke. I appreciate that. All right. So he says, <laughs> He says, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people and her beloved who was not beloved. This is huge, right? We have to take a look at Hosea. In Hosea, he makes such a clear distinction. Makes such a clear distinction. He says, I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel. I will utterly completely take them away yet i will have mercy on the house of judah so look he makes it very clear so when he says you know name your next kid lo ruchama and then call the next one lo ami for you are not my people so who is he talking to who is he saying you are not my people he's talking to the house of israel he can't be talking to the house of judah because he said i will have mercy on them he's talking to the house of Israel and he says, you are not my people and I will not be your God, right? So so then, uh, of course, he says that, you know, in the end, it's, he's going to fix it all. Uh, as time goes on, he's going to fix all that stuff. We see in uh, Hosea chapter 7, Eph- Ephraim has mixed himself among the peoples. Ephraim is a cake unturned, so he's still gooey. He's going to mix in with different stuff um he says ephraim is silly and all this different stuff um and then in 8 8 he says israel is swallowed up now they are among the gentiles like a vessel in which is no pleasure so when we're looking at romans chapter 9 and then he says he quotes distinctly from hosea saying that they're not my people, but they're going to be beloved. He says, you're not my people. They're, they will be called the sons of the living God. He's quoting directly from Hosea. Uh, same thing in Isaiah, in Isaiah as well. And so he says, unless the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, 
we would become like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah, which is Sodom and Gomorrah. They're gone, right? There's no more Sodom and Gomorrah. You can search the world over and you will not find anybody from Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, there are people that act like Sodomites, uh, <laughs> but uh, that's a different matter. Okay, what shall we say then? So, so now with all that as context, what shall we say then that Gentiles, nations, the nations, right? The, do, that the nations who do not pursue righteousness, what is righteousness, right? That's an important question, Gary. What is righteousness that Paul is talking about? It's Torah, right? Well, I don't know. What, yes, yes, no. I, I, I totally agree. It's okay. You say, how can, how can, we, how can we be righteous? Well, yeah. righteous as we, as we walk according to God's commandments. He, uh, he imbues upon us righteousness. Yeah. So you you've got this you've got this thing here that um, the that the nations who don't pursue righteousness don't pursue Torah that they've now attained to righteousness they've attained something uh, even the righteousness of faith like how can this be this doesn't quite seem right uh, but Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness. So now you got the Gentiles and you've got Israel. Now the question is when he says Israel, is he talking about is he talking about the house of Israel or is he talking about all Israel? And that's one of those tricky things. I I'm not entirely sure if he's talking about all the entire house of Israel or if he's only talking about the house of Israel, that is Ephraim, the 10 tribes. That's that's one of those uh, those tricky things to deduce, um, but you know we we can kind of look at it from both perspectives and 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 get a sense of okay maybe he's saying this maybe he's saying that. Um, so I mean one one way to look at that is to say who who is his audience? So if he has a a, a non Jewish audience, what is their view of who Israel is? And that's probably the Israel he's referring to. It's who do you think Israel is? And, mm. you know, if we were to answer that question today, who do we, you know, the, it, let's just uh, uh, say for a moment, uh, there's no, uh, uh, there, there's no Jewish people in the audience or, or amongst us. And you say, who do you think Israel is? And you look and you say, oh, are they just the people living in Israel? Are they, you know, the, Hasidim that are in New York, are they only the people with the black hats? Who is Israel? And we would say, oh, well, anybody who identifies themselves as Israel, they, you know, all the, we would clump all the Jewish people together and say, that is Israel. Um, and, and say, oh, well, and how are they, how are they pursuing righteousness? Uh, so if we were asked the same question, how, how, would we, how would we respond in a contemporary time? Hmm. Is this a hypothetical? Or are you putting it's it a hypothetical? Here? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm not sure if I know the answer. <laughs> um, yeah. But but later Paul's going to say in Romans chapter 11, he's going to say that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, which is an amazing passage because there he's quoting from Genesis chapter 48 verse 19 where Jacob crosses his hands and he puts his right hand on the head of Ephraim, his left hand on Manasseh, and he blesses Ephraim as the firstborn, even though he's not the firstborn. 
And Joseph's like, no, dad, don't do that. And he's like, I know, I know, son, it's okay. Manasseh's going to be great, but Ephraim, oh yeah, he's going to be awesome. All right, so, and he says that he will be Meloha Goim. He'll be the fullness of the Gentiles, is what, literally what he says. So that's part of the, the trick here. Is you got all these little passages and you got to stitch them together. It's, it's why it's easy to miss these things because there's so much in there and, and it takes many years to connect the dots. But once you've connected enough of them, it, you got this critical mass and then suddenly you're like, I get it, right? So again, for, for people that are anti-Paul, I would really encourage you to go back, study some more, study the Torah some more. Um, try to release your bias for a while and um, start cross-referencing, cross-reference, cross-reference. Because you'll find that when, you know, just like we did with, with Hosea, Paul is quoting directly from Hosea. He says it says in Hosea, right? So he tells you where he's getting this thing from. And then once you start looking at the cross-reference, say, who was Hosea talking about? then you'll start to see what Paul was getting at. But if we just think that he's kind of just pulling sound bites out of the air and he's just finding a scripture. I used to think this way. I used to think that, that Paul was just trying to find a nice little sound bite to just kind of proof text his own perspective. He, he wasn't tying it back to the context of those things. He was just, um, he, he just kind of trying to get some clips so that he could stitch it all together and say, see, there you go. And, you know, I realized how wrong that was. So, um, yeah, this is another question by uh, Canaan Centurion. If So if Paul was anti-Torah, as some would say, would he not be least in the kingdom of heaven? Well, I, I, always, I always find it's best to let God decide who's going to be great and who's going to be least. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, you know, I, I mean, let's think about it. We we clearly have some brothers and sisters who hold to that position that the Torah has been done away with. And yet I know that they are dear Christians. Many of them have worked tirelessly to spread the, the gospel of Jesus. And, you know, in, in my opinion, uh, I, I think that there's some reward for that. Uh, you know, how God weighs it all. I'm, I'm glad he's God, right? He, he, he can... Judge those things way better than I can. So no, I think the I think the thing that bugs me about the conversation about the least and the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is uh, um, that some people uh, take that and they say, "Well, I'm not going to observe the Torah, but at least I'm in the kingdom of heaven." Mm -hmm. And why would we be content with being the least in the kingdom of heaven? <laughs> Why would we be content being the least in anything, much less the kingdom of heaven? And, and, and just say, oh, I'm just going to blow it off and at least I'll be in the kingdom of heaven. And, uh, you know, it's, being the least there is better than any day anywhere else. Um, yeah. And it's like, really, is that what we strive to uh, in, in our service to God, to be the mm -hmm. least? Right. Yeah, I mean. Well, they're thinking is at least I made it, you know, <laughs> but, but that's kind of where we're, we're going with the least that we can do. This is where we're just checking boxes instead of what's the spirit of this whole thing. Are we really living for God? Are we with him? Are we passionate about him? Um, I think Gary froze. I'm going to put a question, a little comment up here. This is by Zepazoid again. 
Uh, he's speaking to Jacqueline. I'm here to see this false teaching, and many people who watch Doug know of his many mistaken teachings. He's correct in many things, but is blind on many others. Well, I agree with that. I am blind on many other things. Um, I do not claim to have all the answers, just so you know that. Um, but to be fair, I, I have spent a lot of time, and I'm always open for debates. So if you want to have a debate uh, on this topic, I would be glad to. And we can we can discuss whether Paul was Torah or anti-Torah. And um, I'll be a, a, a gracious host, and we can have a debate. While you were gone, I was just saying how... Um, I put up another comment from Zapazoid <laughs> saying, oh. uh, you know, so uh, anyway, I was just saying that I'd be happy to debate if, if he wanted to. Um, so, but anyway, um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, Zapazoid definitely has, uh, he's got, he's got an ax to grind here. So he, he didn't come to uh, necessarily learn. He says, uh, James rejected Paul and called him an apostate. Uh, but what did he know, right? Yeah. Well, that episode, I know, I know that there are people that are teaching that Paul was Apollos, and there's a huge, thick book out there that people can read about uh, about this topic. But I would challenge you that that, that is uh, poor research. And again, uh, my offer stands. If you want to have a debate, I'd be happy to. Uh, we can uh, debate this, um, and. Uh, we can. I'll use Paul to to defend Paul and to show that he was actually pro Torah, and you can use whatever you want. So it's all good. Um, okay, let's go on here. Since we can't spend the whole time on Zepazoid stuff, uh, but uh, you know, just write to me and let me know if you want to take me up on that. So, um, all right, where were we? We were in uh, Romans chapter ten. Gary, you look kind of frozen again, my friend. It uh, looks like Gary is having some technical difficulties. Uh, again, I think it is that hour. It must be the Netflix hour where people are watching Netflix and our connectivity is suffering as a result of that. So that's too bad. We've got about seven minutes. We usually end around eight o'clock. Uh, so just want to say, guys, thank you again for tuning in. There's so much in the tour and we just can't get to it. This is why we study week after week after week. I want to invite you to join me every Shabbat. I've been going through the book of Revelation. We're taking our time. We figured there's no rush. We've got lots of time. And uh, let's really dig deep uh, to get into the, into the study of uh, God's word. And the great thing, the great thing about the book of Revelation is that it's the culmination of this big, wonderful love story. And God is now telling us how it's going to end. So, I've uh, done my best to take time and really explore who are the characters, uh, you know, what they're going to do, and then kind of how it's all coming together. So I do my best to give lots of scripture. I do speculate a little bit here and there, but I always let you know when I am speculating uh, just so that it's clear uh, as a result. So um, fantastic. Just looking to see if there are more questions. and. Um, Let's see here. We got some discussion going on in the uh, the chat there. Hey, Gary, you're back. Yeah, I long for the day when I can say of my internet, I'm not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, really. <laughs> that, that's a joke. I, I kid Gary that he lives in Kansas. He really lives in Elizabeth, Colorado, which is a beautiful area. But uh, 
it is a little, little off the beaten track there. Uh, <laughs> so this is from Jennifer. She says, I think the Torah is how Jehovah's kingdom will be set up, kind of like our constitution. Maybe that's not the best analogy, but that's how it helps me. What do you think, Doug? Uh, I, I think you're on the right track. I think if, you, if we look at the Torah as a type of constitution, right? You, you've got your Bill of Rights. You've got your, well, there's no amendments because God didn't have to amend anything. But, um, you know, the Constitution is giving the, the, the rights and obligations for citizens of the kingdom. And this is how we choose to govern. So the good thing is that God gave us the Constitution instead of man coming up with one. And, you know, the U.S. Constitution is, is pretty good as far as man-made documents go. It's pretty darn good, actually. But God's is even better because it comes from God and not from man. Uh, and in as far as the framers of the U.S. Constitution copied some of those principles, good job for them, right? Um, and, and that's the other thing about the, the Constitution, Gary, is that it's based on principles, right? So we know that these big principles up here then filter down and they get into very specific laws, right? And, and of course, uh, for quite a while during... US, the U.S. Uh, US history, uh, some of those concepts didn't need to be fleshed out because they didn't have things like internet and they didn't have things uh, like uh, um, interstate highways, right? So you didn't have to really ask, okay, how do we apply this? But then later judges would uh, come along and then they would take the principles in the constitution and then they would turn it into an ordinance so that now there's a specific ruling about this specific instance. And that's essentially what we have in the Torah, is we have some really powerful principles, like you should have no other gods before me, you should not make any graven images, uh, you should not take the Lord's name in vain, you should not desecrate the Sabbath or keep the Sabbath holy is what God says. Don't murder, that's a really good one. Um, you know, uh, don't steal. You know, now it's interesting. One commandment that is not in the Ten Commandments is to not kidnap, right? So kidnapping, what is kidnapping, right? Are you stealing? Are you murdering, right? Well, you're not actually murdering the kid. You're stealing the kid. But the, the penalty for kidnapping is the same as murder. Because even though you're not taking the life, you're not killing that individual, you're taking that child or man or woman from their family with the intent that they should never go back again. And so the penalty for that is the same as murder, which is really interesting. So, so here we have the, 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 the Ten Commandments up here, which the Ten Commandments sit under another set of laws, which are love the Lord and love your neighbor, which is under this thing called love, right? So God is love. And then God's like, okay, love me, love your neighbor. Then here's the Ten Commandments. Here's what it looks like to love me. You know, no graven images and that stuff. Love your neighbor. Don't don't kill him. <laughs> don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't steal his wife and all that. And then, and then if you still have questions, then it goes down into more minutia, more detailed as to what these things look like on a practical level on a day-to-day -day basis. So, um, Jennifer, I think you're absolutely right that it is a constitution. And in the age to come, the cool thing is that we're going to have those laws right here, right in our heart. You know, so as Gary was talking about playing the banjo, 
you know, when you first learn an instrument, Gary, it, it's painstaking work, right? You have to, okay, plunk, plunk. Ask, and you're ask like, my wife. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to me. <laughs> you know, well, yeah, it's, you know, the kid who's learning violin, right? Screech, huh? screech. And, you know, it's like, ah, oh, right? But after many, many years, it becomes this glorious music. And you're like, don't stop, don't stop, right? Because it's gone from learning how to plunk out the notes to this wonderful music. And, and so by the time you can have that wonderful music, you now know the instrument by heart, right? You may not know every score out there by heart, but you know the music, you know the instrument by heart. You can play this, you can craft music on this. And that's when it is a true joy to play an instrument is when you really can make music. And so when we have God's principles, not just here on our phones or, or in a book, you know, on, on some written thing, but when it's here to the extent that we don't have to go back and keep looking at the manual all the time, but now we, we know it, we live it, we breathe it, it's in our DNA, and we just, we just automatically live out these principles. How beautiful that will be. And uh, we strive to do that here and now in this lifetime with the understanding that yeah, we probably won't ever quite arrive, okay? But still, the goal is to get there. And so that's what we want to do, is, is to get there. That's the beautiful thing about the Torah. I, I think, I think uh, to add on to that, uh, Doug, the thing that really just expands the, the beauty and the meaning of the Torah is, is that we don't think of it just in the terms of a constitution. I totally agree with everything that you said, but it's so much more. Uh, it also defines the boundaries of the land. It defines who the people of the land are. It mm. is a marriage contract. It's a ketubah, a, a covenant. It defines the relationship so much more so than just a set of laws that we should follow. Mm. Uh, it defines that, yes, but also this this relationship that that not only that we have with God, but the relationship that he has with us, that he desires us. Um, and and it, so it's so much more beyond than what I, I, we comprehend. Um, and I, I might take one issue with you regarding amendments. Uh, <laughs> as, as, a, <laughs> as I think about the daughters of the Lofahad, right? So oh, nice. Yeah. Situation, uh, that... Uh, Moses didn't know. Nope. So mm -hmm. if you guys remember the story, uh, the, the father died. There was He didn't have any brothers. So all he had was daughters. And so mm -hmm. the, who was the inheritance to go to? So what does Moses do? He inquires of the Lord. God makes an amendment, um, mm -hmm. in my opinion, uh, <laughs> to the I like Torah. I like yeah. yeah. And there's, there's a couple like right. that. That's an interesting discussion. Uh, yeah, um, amendment being something that's added later, right? So yes, yeah. it's not a correction, right? There's a big Correct. difference. Yeah, yeah, right? so yeah. It's not a correction. And, and even with the, the U.S. amendments, the, the amendments are based on the principles that are laid out in the Constitution. Yes. So I want people to understand that, that God wasn't like, oh, man, I really got this one wrong. I got I to gotta erase this and put in something else. He did not change it. But he now added a point of clarification based on the principles. That's what's important. Based on the principles. The principles 
do not change. God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Never changes. His principles don't change. His character, his values never change. And that is what he's given us in this thing called the Torah, this constitution of the Torah. So uh, it, if I could take a little rabbit trail there, just something that... that rabbit away, with, yeah. One thing you shared with me earlier today that I, I found so fascinating. So the principle uh, with the daughters of the Zolofahad was the principle of the inheritance. So the, the, the principle of the inheritance is so important uh, 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 that um, we uh, understand where we come from, what our inheritance is. But Doug, will you share what you shared with me earlier uh, today? Because I just, I loved what you said. Uh, thank you. But I, what did I share? <laughs> oh, you were talking about the inheritance uh, and how... Um, oh yes okay sorry i'm yeah. remembering okay um yeah so in let me just go ahead and pull this up this is in ephesians chapter one Ephesians chapter one um so uh hold on uh, it's coming to me i'm trying to think about that oh here we go verse 11 Okay, so in the King, King James, New King James, it says, in him also we have obtained an inheritance. So the idea is that, you know, I, the son, uh, get the house when my father dies, right? So I, I get something. But um, some years ago, I was reading in the New, New English Translation, and it's very different. And it says, in Christ, we too have been claimed as God's own possession, and that caused me to go back and look at it in the Greek. And I was like, sure enough, the New English translation has it right. This word here, ekleirothimen, uh, means it's that we are the subject and we are in the passive voice. That means that we are the inheritance. We are the thing being inherited. Think of, uh, maybe not a great example, but, you know, if you, you're, your dad is a, a, a landowner. Well, let's say that you're the slave, okay? And, uh, you know, the, the master dies and then you're left to his son, right? That's the basic idea is that, that we are, we are the thing being inherited. And it puts a totally different spin on, on, on our salvation. It's not something that we're getting. It's not that you know, we got this great insurance policy and it's it's got collision. It's got uh, theft, right? It has roadside assistance. What a deal we got, right? We really scored on this one. No, it's that God's like, no, he's inheriting us. We are the thing inherited and God is the one who's possessing us. So it, it changes the perspective of that. And it ties it back with uh, where it says in, in, in Exodus that, uh, we are God's possession. It's beautiful. Exodus, Exodus 19.5, absolutely. And then uh, Peter goes on to uh, say the same thing in 1 Peter 2nd 9. says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own. Uh, mm. We are his possession, a special treasure. Um, mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. love how those tie together. And, and uh, understanding that, now I'm not in inheriting something but God really chooses me he yeah, yeah and and wants me for his own 
uh, just really spoke to me this afternoon. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Uh, thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure. Well, I think we're we're pretty much out of time. Um, there's a few more comments. Um, guys, I'm sorry if we didn't get to all the questions. We really tried. Um, but I just want to encourage everyone that Paul did indeed teach Torah, uh, despite what some people in our comment section uh, are suggesting. Uh, Paul was not against the Torah. The Marcionistic Paul. Yeah, he was a bad guy. And when we rightfully reject him. But the real Paul was absolutely bonafide pro-Torah. Because Torah means instruction and it comes from God. Paul wouldn't be against that. That would be foolish. That would be that would make him a false apostle. And if, of course, he wasn't a false apostle. He was absolutely in harmony with what uh, God was saying all the way through it, from Genesis up to uh, the time of Jesus. He was absolutely in agreement with that, and he's simply commenting on it. Unfortunately, people have twisted Paul, as Peter rightfully points out. Uh, you know, Paul is twisted on many occasions, and that is unfortunate. So. What can you do? All right, guys. Well, we will hope to see you on Friday for Erev Shabbat. That'll be at 7 o'clock Mountain Standard Time. Uh, if you're not in Colorado, join us. We have a wonderful time. Good fellowship. We get That's when we just sit around, bring your glass of wine. We get to know each other a lot better. And then Saturday morning, uh, we will be having worship at 1030. And then we will start the teaching around 11, somewhere in there, depending when we finish worship. Uh, so we hope you can join us. Till next time, God bless you. Just wishing everybody a Hag Sameach, Yom Ha'atzmaut, Israel Independence Day. Uh, so uh, find your connection to the land and don't forget to count the Omer. Okay, sounds good.